anybody there? It seems I'm all alone again. Is anybody here? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Monday, May 15th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyard and from across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. It's like a you know, good beer once a month. How could you beat it? Five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press today. And you can help out the show right now by heading to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can get it wherever you see his streams. For all the details, head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on the Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't heard, I don't know where you've been, right? The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Nicoleco, and is produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. You can check out the podcast at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com, or you can pick it up wherever you get your podcast. And for all you gamers out there, the Game In, that's with two N's, the Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts when they get A's in the report card. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at the Game In at, at the Game In. Got a question about a game? Look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. And you know what's happening. Yes, we are in election season. We cannot let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.com. Net. And out, out to Coop Live, uh, for those of you folks who were here earlier today, we had uh, Christina Marusic on the show talk about her new book, A New War on Cancer, The Unlikely Heroes Revolutionizing Prevention. 
Christina is an investigative reporter for Envi Environmental Health News, and her book just came out last week. It's excellent. So check out our interview and go pick up her book. Well, on tonight's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome back a welcome to the show, Catherine Joyce, to the program. We'll be talking about her recent article in Church and State, Mad Moms, a new Christian nationalist front group claims to champion parental involvement in public education. Critics say there's eh, a little more nefarious agenda at foot. Mad Moms takes a deep dive into Moms for Liberty and their deep pockets and their growing extremism. Now, Catherine Joyce is an investigative editor at In These Times, a freelance investigative reporter and the author of two books, The Child Catchers, Rescue Trafficking and the New Gospel of Adoption, and Quiverful, Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement, which I cannot recommend a month enough. Go out and get those two as well. Now, she was formerly a reporter with Type Investigations in Salon, a contributing editor um, at The New Republic, and a contributing writer at Highline. Her work has also appeared in numerous publications, including Mother Jones, Vanity Fair, The Marshall Project, Long Reads, The New York Times Magazine, Vox, The American Prospect, The Intercept, The Nation, Cosmopolitan, Adirondack Life, The, the Atlantic, Biz, The Harvard Divinity, Divinity Bulletin, and many more. Like, she just rocks, let me just tell you. She's former the editor of Political Research Associates Quarter, Quarterly Magazine, The Public Eye, and she teaches as an adjunct lecturer at Brooklyn College's Political Science Department, Welcome to the show, Catherine. I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. My pleasure to be here. Well, as you know, uh, as we've talked about a little bit, and I gave you a little bit of the context and you're familiar with, um, the Moms for Liberty issue and this kind of growing extremism that we're seeing at the level of school, school boards, particularly from religious right and um, kind of you know, and the far right um, has, you know, it's basically been the environment we've been swimming in here in, in Bucks County for quite some time. Now, your work, however, um, has charted these kind of religious right movements for, as I said, for, for a while now. And, um, you know, maybe just as a way to kind of step in back before we get into the specifics of Mom for, Moms for Liberty, you talk a little bit about how you ended up on, you know, on this beat, so to speak, right? I'm um, looking at this kind of religious right movements and really kind of charting some of the emerging movements kind of as they're coming out. Yeah, sure. Um, and thank you again for having me. Um, I mean, I guess the the super long picture view is, <laughs> is that... Um, Basically, uh, you know, one of the the first writing opportunities that that I had um, back, getting close to two decades ago now, um, was was working with um, a guy who's now my friend, who who became my mentor, Jeff Charlotte, um, oh, yeah. uh, a really excellent um, reporter, and and he hired me. Um, when I was uh, going to school to, to work with him on a project called The Revealer, um, which was, I mean, this, these were early days of blogs. So this mm -hmm. was kind of like, you know, 1.0 or 1.5 at <laughs> the least. rise anyway. of the blogosphere, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we, we worked together on this blog put out by New York University um, that was looking at the way religion uh, was covered by the news. And this was you know, kind of smack in the middle of uh, the W years, the Bush Bush two years, mm -hmm. um, and the war in Iraq, and you know, it was a time when the the role of evangelicalism um, was kind of suddenly getting this this renewed attention. Um, a lot of people were were paying attention to it. Um, you know, a lot of really shabby um, <laughs> kind of news coverage yeah. of it too. Um, you know, just kind of people 
you know, I think I think there's more familiarity with this pattern um, these days than there was then. Um, but sort of the way that a lot of the mainstream media can bend over backwards to in in an attempt to avoid being called the liberal media, um, and and in in so doing, um, just give kind of a, you know carte blanche to a whole kind of segment of of kind of the political reality that they don't want to look too hard at because they're afraid that you know maybe maybe that's going to be mean i guess um and so that was sort of how how i started um you know working on this topic it it paid for my grad school um and uh you know through that you know um my my job as the managing editor um of, of the revealer was, you know, finding examples of religion coverage, um, every day for us to, to write about. And it just, uh, became this sort of quick education in a lot of what was going on, just kind of looking at a lot of different sources, um, and, you know, stumbling on a lot of different things. I mean, that is, you mentioned my, my first book, Quiverful, that is, you know, definitely, um, was one of the stepping stones on the way to, stumbling upon that movement um so yeah that's that's kind of the the deep backstory and then i think with as with many writers or reporters or or podcasters um you know one thing that you learn about leads you to the next thing that you learn about um you know you you tumble down a rabbit hole and and you you just start to find more and more things so that's sort of kind of i think how you gain a a bit of expertise in a niche yeah, what's it's kind of interesting. I think one um, of the challenges I could see in, in the kind of reporting that that you've been doing and paying attention to these movements, um, and I, you know, it's it's almost it's it feels like this is cyclical, like where these movements start to emerge, and there's a tendency among say 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 mainstream media, kind of especially cable news and things like to really kind of dismiss this as kind of this is fringe, this is going to go away, this is not a big deal, these are just a kind of bunch of crazies that are out there, but in reality. Um, these 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 movements um, as are they seem more like laboratories like for where they're kind of working out kind of ideologies and practices and networks of connection um, with a real agenda of building power I mean I'm not sure if that if that's how you would see that but that's always been my sense of, of what's happening there I I absolutely would agree with that I mean I yeah I've 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 thought about a lot of movements because a lot of things that I've written about have been niche and um you know say the quiverful movement um for listeners who don't know this is um a, a movement of fundamentalist christians and I'm, I'm using that term carefully not as in a pejorative sense but you know if if evangelicalism is a much more mainstream you know form of christian faith fundamentalism is you know stricter more insular um you know lots of different kind of distinctions but it, it was a fundamentalist is a fundamentalist Christian movement, um, you know, very tied to homeschooling um, that believed in uh, families having as many children as they could, uh, you know, both as sort of this ultimate demonstration of their anti-abortion convictions. We will prove that every child is a blessing by accepting every possible child that, that we can have. Um, and also, you know, they would talk about this as kind of this long-term game plan to win back the culture demographically. We are just going to outbreed our enemies. Um, and 
It they use not, that language explicitly, right? I mean, this very, is not very just, explicitly. Right. I'm, yeah. I mean, like they are. It's very militaristic language. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was not ever a huge movement. Um, I estimated that it was tens of thousands of people. I've talked to people who have left that movement who said, actually, we think it was much higher. Um, but in any case, that is not. You know, that's not a demographic like talking about the Southern Baptist Convention or the Catholic sure. Church. Um, but what it is, is a vanguard. Um, it's an intellectual vanguard. And I think a lot of people kind of like to sneer at the idea of there being a kind of a Christian right in, in intellectual movement. But there there certainly is. I mean, they are they are writing books. They are kind of doing a lot of kind of worldview creation and there is a role for these movements that kind of, I think, get dismissed as fringe a lot, um, but, you know, really are are shaping kind of a, a very purist view of kind of politics and a movement that, you know, by the time it filters down in some, some sort of function um, in some way to kind of more mainstream circles, um, you know, it, it has become popularized, uh, you know, like, quiverful adherents might say, you know, um, you should, you should try to have between 10 and 20 children. Um, by the time that gets kind of popularized by, uh, you know, a, a group like the Southern Baptist Convention, um, you know, it's, it's no longer kind of talking like explicitly about patriarchy. It's talking about complementarianism, that men and women have complementary gender roles. So I think, there's like a, a really important role that these quote unquote fringe groups play in, in pushing the envelope in kind of keeping, kind of keeping things moving ever rightward. Um, and then these things, you know, by and by, they, they show up in much more mainstream parts of the right. Yeah, it's really good to hear you use the word kind of an intellectual vanguard too as well, because I do think that um, going along with what you're saying there is like, you know, talk about intellectual here um there's that there, there's that tendency to say well there's no like phd after their name so therefore right or there's not like which is not what we're talking about we're talking about in intellectual movements right i used to think about this you know on the left there used to have a labor movement right when the yeah. labor movement was vibrant is that there was all sorts of publications and thinking about organizational strategy and kind of how you kind of engage with people and how to actually lay this stuff out which is very much kind of not tied to like institutional like credentialism, but was rather about the kind of really thinking through the ideas of organizing on the left. And that's virtually, you know, dried up the decimation of the labor movement for sure. For sure. I, I'm, this is a little off topic, but I am honor bound to interject here <laughs> that you should all read in these times magazine. If you want to read about those labor movements um, and lots else, <laughs> I, if you didn't, I would have, because I've been a subscriber of in these times for quite some time. I used to buy it off the shelf, like way Amazing. back in the day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you have if people have not reading in these times, I, we frequently cite them on the show, um, kind of different articles that come out of there because it is an absolutely stellar, um, uh, kind of example of this kind of kind of intellectual broad kind of intellectual kind of with a small eye right um kind of movement intellectual yeah, exactly yeah drawing yeah absolutely and i i think drawing from people who are parts of these movements as intellectual leaders um which i think is is brilliant and important and also kind of to steer us back to what we are yep, talking yep. about you know is something that happens on the right all the time as well for sure. 
Yeah, and so let's so let's get into this with uh, Moms for Liberty because Moms for Liberty seems to I think for for many people say casual observers who aren't paying really close attention to what's actually happening on the ground in these movements, Moms for Liberty seem to come out of nowhere, right? And that's part of kind of like their own origin story, right? I mean, it's kind of as you say in in your article, like Mad Moms, new Christian nationalist front groups claim to champion parental involvement in public education. That this idea of this, there's a simple background, and we just we're just a bunch of moms, right? When you you, you kind of connect that and say, okay, there's the origin story versus let's look at these deep networks of connections in here. Can you talk a little about both that kind of the origin story, the story that they're telling in, and then who these people actually are and uh, who they're connected to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Maurice Cunningham, um, who is a, a former professor, he's the, the author of a book called uh, Dark Money. Um, he wrote this excellent report for a group called Network for Public Education. They're um, uh, public education advocates. Uh, he wrote a great report about Moms for Liberty in which he kind of really made this point that, um, you know, Moms for Liberty likes to tell this story that they're just two plucky moms selling T-shirts out of their garage. And they were just really concerned about all of the the smut and the the COVID masking and the CRT that they were seeing in their schools. And they just decided, you know, by golly, we're going to do something about it. Um, and, you know, Cunningham, you know, I think in this, this long report um, really uh, takes this apart uh, in, in noting um, actually within like a couple of weeks, um, you know, and certainly within a couple of months of their founding, they this Moms for Liberty had been featured all over the the right wing media ecosystem that, you know, literally within, you know, a couple of weeks, just within days of, of launching, um, you know, they were ranking, you know, really high profile in basically endorsements um, from all all kinds of, you know, right wing media stars. Um, this was kind of being uh, pushed out, you know, on on social media. And they were getting the sort of boost that I think real grassroots organizations could only dream of. Um, you know, they were getting, you know, like ACLU in the middle of a major lawsuit levels of media coverage. And this just really kind of rocketed them um, into kind of the center of, you know, right wing and and Republican kind of conversations about, you know, where where the politics of the movement and the party were going. Um, you know, in reality, it, it is not that kind of plucky, just selling T-shirts story. Um, you know, they were getting some some major donations. Not all of those are are known, um, but some of them are. Um, you know, they they got. A significant amount of money from uh, Julie Fancelli, who is this uh, right-wing donor in Florida. Um, she is the heiress of the Publix grocery store chain. Um, she's probably also best known for being the person who funded almost all of the rally that preceded the the riot on January sixth. Um, she footed the bill for Kimberly Guilfoyle's uh, speech personally, I believe. Um, Moms for Liberty also got uh, a pretty big boost last year from the Leadership Institute, um, which is this decades-old conservative organization that uh, you know that trains 
conservative activists to mm-hmm. to go out and be effective, to go be kind of effective quasi, you know, supposedly grassroots activists, actually astroturf activists. Um, and and there are a number of other donations uh, that, that were, were guiding this that are just not yet known. Um, but beyond that, there is also the fact that, um, you know, these supposedly just plucky moms um, were actually, they're really pretty sophisticated women with a lot of skills. One of the, the founders, um, of, of Moms for Liberty, uh, you know, is a, a communications professional herself. Um, one of the other co-founders um, who has sort of since kind of publicly distanced herself from the group, even though she's still, you know, very much working towards the same ends, um, is married to uh, a man who runs a Republican micro media targeting uh, strategy firm who also just became the the head uh the chairman of the the florida republican party um you know when they had their big confab their kind of first annual moms for liberty joyful warriors summit um that kills me that kills me joyful Joyful warriors Warriors. sorry i just (laughs) like i can't get past it they're calling it again in philadelphia again it's joyful warriors too maybe somebody else is going to get a sword because last year ron DeSantis got like a really pretty looking blue sword, the Liberty sword. Um, but Ron DeSantis was there. And so were, you know, a number of other really prominent people, uh, other prominent Republican politicians, um, definitely kind of the who's who of, you know, right wing education activists, um, which is this whole kind of celebrity tier now. I mean, these are now the people that might sound kind of square still, but these are the people who get invited to CPAC um, and all of the other conferences because it has it has been found that this is a really winning issue for Republicans. Um, I was just talking about the Moms for Liberty co-founder who's married to the the head of the the Florida um, Republican Party. that co-founder is named Bridget Ziegler. She's now the the chair um, woman of the Sarasota County School Board, and her husband Christian Media. Um, sorry, Christian Ziegler. Um, he's the one who runs Micro Targeted Media. Uh, he said back in 2021 um, to the Washington Post, um, paraphrasing here, but you know that he had been trying for years and years to try to figure out how are we going to get. 20, 30 something year old uh, women to be invested in the Republican Party and just had been stumped. You know, this is not a natural kind of pairing. And he said, and Moms for Liberty basically did it for me. Like they they have made this connection. So it's it has become uh, this very valuable constituency to the Republican Party. And honestly, I mean, like these politics have basically become a huge part of the whole party platform across the nation you're seeing it a lot in certain states in in pennsylvania you're certainly seeing it a lot but everywhere yeah we're saying i mean pennsylvania is the second largest uh, at least least, latest reporting i've seen second largest number of uh, chapters in the country next to florida 
And, um, and, you know, you mentioned Bridget Ziegler, of course, you know, she was recently in the news um, because she's the head of the Sarasota Board of Education, which was just trying to put through the Hillsdale College or, excuse me, Vermilion. I mean, we know they're essentially the same thing, but whatever, we'll make the distinction of Vermilion education um, to basically rewrite their curriculum in the version of this kind of Christian nationalist thing. Um, They failed there. They did not fail here, (laughs) as, as our listeners are well aware. Yeah, I, I mean, I it was sort of stunning um, to watch that. I, I mentioned to you before the show that I've been uh, for the last couple of months in the process of reporting a piece about Sarasota County. Um, and so I was paying a lot of attention to, to that discussion um, about Vermilion when it was proposed there. Um, and, you know, the surprising uh, vote by a couple of the conservative members yeah. to, to side with the the only moderate kind of liberal member in in blocking it. And after that, um, I did see that Bridget Ziegler uh, wrote on Facebook, you know, basically it should have been us. Um, (laughs) We should have been leading on this. Yeah, she was Um, pissed. Yeah, she was actually, she was legitimately pissed. It's interesting. Um, And, you know, and I do, to go back to a point, I want to lose, I don't want to lose this thread that you mentioned before, because one of the things that, about Moms for Liberty doing the work of, say, the Republican Party, and particularly the kind of, you know, the the right the right wing of the Republican Party. I don't, I don't even know if we can use that language anymore because it seems like that that is dominating. Um, Good question. Yeah, yeah, Republican politics, but um, it seems like the Moms for Liberty is it, it's it's a I hate to use these kind of words with this, but really a brilliant kind of entity in the sense that it's making use of all the ideological kind of like baggage of say motherhood of um, not kind of like not doing the Trump move, which is kind of like belittling women, but it's actually women led. And, you know, that's again, Republicans are not known for kind of, uh, you know, given the platform to women and women's organizations. So to see that, but just like you said, really solves a, a whole bunch of problems for them at once, especially when you can make it a local issue and you pair the moms with the kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's really powerful. I mean, I think if you, it, there's pl- probably lots of examples of this in Pennsylvania that you're seeing as well, but I know kind of looking at Florida, um, you know, within kind of conservative social media circles, um, members of Moms for Liberty are, you know, held up being like, look, these are, this is the paragon of modern womanhood. Um, I mean, so it, it's, it is kind of being described in that way. And I mean, I think, you know, historians and, and feminist historians and historians of the right would, would point out, um, this is an old model. Exactly. You can, you can go back, you know, many decades, you know, and look at, uh, you know, a lot of women um, who have, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Republican women as a whole lack agency for sure. But, you know, I think within a party where, you know, as Christian Ziegler himself was pointing out, you know, it was a hard sell to a lot of women for a long time. Um, You know, there is kind of this 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 role that is kind of being created and expanded that you can be you could be a warrior quote for your children um i mean and it's i mean the obvious rejoinder to that is that there's there's parents of of all stripes of all political stripes who are always being warriors for their children and you know 
for a lot of them, that means, you know, protecting their children who are black or who are, you know, brown or who are immigrants or who are LGBTQ. I mean, there's it's it is, you know, it's a deceptive sort of framing, um, but it's it's very powerful and it's it's language that's being used to cover all kinds of agendas that don't really have anything to do with that. I mean, if, you know, if you're talking suddenly about, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, the need to, to ban lots, lots of books, um, exactly. not because they are sexually explicit, but because they, they mention um, a boy having a crush on another boy um, or because, you know, they, they feature, you know, or kind of focus on primarily, you know, students of color um, or yep. a character that would be, you know, more representative of students of color. I mean, like that has nothing to do with protecting your children from groomers, um, but you wrap it in this language of joyful warrior of mama bear. I mean, we've we've seen these shows before for sure. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and it's remarkable to see where, um, and you mentioned this in the article where you're seeing, you know, this legislation that's, that's being pushed to be passed around parental rights and so on. Right. Um, is, is basically it's arguing for things that already exist. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's the astounding part about this is like, they're going out there with like, you know, shields and armor saying that we are going to give, and these like, you're looking at what the codes already are, right? You're looking at what the laws already are. And you're like, you're basically just talking about, but they're like just rebranding it and reskinning it with, as if it's this Christian nationalist kind of, um, kind of like agenda item. And I think it's left a lot of like just everyday parents who have been doing the like, you know, the hard work of, of making sure that kids are protected and all that for, for decades. It leaves them kind of flat footed with like, we already have this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in early March, um, this federal Parents' Bill of Rights Act was introduced and you know, the things that it was going to offer um, was allowing parents to meet with their children's teachers, um, allowing parents to address the school board. I mean, are these, are, are there places in this country where <laughs> these things, these can, things cannot yet happen? Um, you know, that the public needs to be able to see school budgets and spending, um, you know, I, it's just, these are, these are very much things that, that already exist. But again, I mean, there, there is, you know, a, Apologies for the horns, but there, there's a much deeper kind of fight that's going on um, that that these things, I think, you know, serve as cover for frequently. Um, you know, if you have everybody kind of rending their garments um, over the idea that there is, uh, you know, CRT or, or SEL in schools, um, then, you know, they're going to be so worked up on that that they might not notice that the voucher expansion that uh, you know the governor signed the year before has now stripped seventy million dollars from your school district. Um, and so I think a lot of the people that I've been talking to in in Florida and elsewhere, um, you know, whenever I'm reporting on education, have been pointing out, you know, uh, again and again, like 
that distraction is part of this bigger, longer game plan um, that is destroying public education and that that has been, uh, you know, a Republican wish for for decades that is now probably closer than it's it's ever been um, to being something that could come true. Well, I'm glad you said that because there's there's two there's two kind of related things to this point that I'm curious your take on um, and how you make sense. Because for me, uh, one of the things that what's been happening here locally in the school boards, especially around all the you know CRT stuff, the God forbid we have social and emotional learning, um, you know, I mean, and the anti-masking stuff, the, the you know. All the nonsense that took place in the um, um, in the wake of the pandemic um, that came out, where we are kind of led us to where we are now. Anyways, was that there was this guy Paul Martino, right? He's this kind of venture capitalist based in Bucks County. He lives at one district over from me. He's been funding all these school board races, dropping ten thousand dollars per race, right, in these little mm-hmm. tiny school board races. Um, at the last, like after the last election, um, he came out and basically there was there were. There were two Democratic women who won election and he basically kind of put them on notice, basically said right away, said, OK, you right. Uh, you need to excuse yourself from contract negotiations because the teachers union um, kind of supported you in your run. And I'm like, this dude's coming after the teachers unions. Yeah. Right. Um, which is which is part of this long term agenda of basically, you know, doing the Betsy DeVos move is saying, we're fine with taking public money for public education, but we want to basically take that money and put it into religious schools, right? So we're fine with taking public money, but we just want to be able to determine where it's going to go, right? We want to be able to teach religion and our kids there. And so how much of this, like, is on the one hand, is that agenda? And then the other thing that you mentioned in your piece, which I found, I was like, this is like right on the money in so many ways that say Republican activists, particularly right-wing Republican activists, recognizing the power of generating votes at a local level, right, in order to affect, say, statewide elections or over to affect, you know, um, like House of Representatives. Because basically, if you get more people who are not normally going to vote, getting out there to vote, um, then that's actually going to increase numbers. I mean, I I don't know if I'm saying that very well, but I mean, those are two things that I I see at play in in your piece. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's really true. And I think one of the things that was really interesting um, about last summer's Moms for Liberty Joyful Warriors Summit um, <laughs> is, is that they were making that argument really explicit. Um, I think that it was um, Senator Rick Scott uh, in, in addressing yep. this conference Um who told them, um, and this was an audience that, you know, there were a lot of activists there, but there were also a lot of, um, you know, would-be school board members. Um, you know, there's this whole kind of class of school board candidates last year that Governor Ron DeSantis um, got behind in in a way that, you know, a lot of people said that they had never seen before, you know, that high level of a state official getting involved in such local races. But Rick Scott told the audience that, you know, if you run for school board with with kind of all of the energy that is around school politics now, um, you know, there's going to be sort of this reverse coattails thing going on. I mean, typically you would think about, you know, the top of, you know, the ballot being something that is going to, you know, all of the lower on the ballot races are going to 
to go along with. You know, if everybody comes out to vote for president, um, then, you know, maybe even if they don't really know who's running uh, in their local races, they're just going to vote kind of their party affiliation. Rick Scott was saying, you know, the reverse might work now. People are going to be so invested in school politics um, that they might come out just specifically intending to vote for school board. And then they're going to provide the coattails that congressional candidates and Senate candidates could ride upon, um, basically, that they could um, help get these these higher level candidates into higher office because people would care uh, so much more about them. Um, and I thought that that was really um, an interesting sort of flipping of mm-hmm. of things. Um and then in terms of, um, you know, your, your first question, um, I think, you know, you were talking about uh, like defunding, public, defunding schools and, yeah. public schools. I mean, I, I think, you know, certainly um, going after teachers unions has been uh, a huge Republican agenda item for a very long time. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. They kind of, they, they get to kill you know, a lot of birds with one stone if they do that. Um, but yeah, then the defunding piece um, is is really crucial and and I think really troubling and and something that we need to to pay an awful lot of attention to because while we are all you know sort of on the defensive um, as a society, kind of with all of these like kind of one controversy hitting after another kind of constantly, it it keeps everybody's eyes kind of focused on that. And then, you know, school privatization is basically being introduced in ever more explicit ways as the solution to all of the controversies that, you know, are kind of dominating the news. And I say ever more explicitly because a lot of, you know, right-wing education advocates are becoming just increasingly really blunt about that fact. Um, Christopher Ruvo is is a name that your audience is probably really familiar with, but, you know, kind of he's credited with, not entirely accurately, but he is credited with almost single-handedly making CRT um, a moral panic in the country. And when he was speaking to Hillsdale College uh, a little more than a year ago, um, you know, he talked about it sort of in these terms. Um, you know, he said in order to get to universal school choice, um, which is just euphemism for a school privatization, right. um, then we need to operate from a position of universal public school distrust. Um, so if you can, if you concede distrust in in the public schools so widely if you can kind of divorce people who tend to actually like their public schools um you know they're a center of community that's it's where a lot of people kind of meet their community if you're in a sort of small town or medium-sized town or city environment where like you know maybe there's sports or something that is something that is that is important um, to a community. But like, if you can kind of get people angry at their schools instead, you can maybe get them um, towards thinking, you know, there's so many problems. Oh, these woke teachers, they're they're trying to to make my kid trans, or they're they're trying to uh, make my 
my kid Antifa um, or BLM or, or kind of whatever kind of configuration of letters. Trying to make my poor little white kid feel bad about themselves for being white. I mean, like, exactly. all, you know, yeah. Yeah. Then, um, you know, you increasingly have a, a lot of Republican officials saying um, you, you should just take take your kids out, homeschool them, put them in a charter school, put them in a private school, get a voucher. Um, and, you know, that is starting to just be, you know, increasingly kind of the more explicit pairing um, that there are people who are just saying uh, to get away from all of these um, upsetting things that we have just been talking to you about kind of nonstop for the last six months. Um, you need to support this mega voucher bill. Um, that is, you know, going to allow every person in this state, no matter how rich they are, even if their kids have been homeschooled since birth, or even if they've been in, uh, you know, a private evangelical school since birth, um, we're going to give them $8,000 that they can spend however they want. And, you know, if, if it ends up bankrupting your entire school district, well, then maybe later on we'll, um, we'll lease those empty school buildings um for you know a nice new private school so it's it's sort of circular in but it's 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 i don't know it's spinning it feels like it's spinning faster um all the time now no absolutely and when you mentioned that when when rufo came out and said christopher rufo comes out and says you know this is what we need to do universal distrust of public schools i have this image at the time of like naomi klein holding her her book shock doctrine here and like pointing and like this is what i'm talking about <laughs> like i mean that's what it felt like we we're, were getting like you know almost like rufo said like read the book and was like oh yeah this is exactly what i'm doing you know so um thank you for the language <laughs> you know? i mean i'm that is a point of fascination with me is is kind of how much kind of the right ends up reading a lot of, <laughs> you know, leftist theory and um, making making some sort of use of it for themselves. But yeah, I I was in the fall in November, twenty twenty one. I was in Orlando at a conference of the the National Conservatism Movement and Christopher Rufo. Um, was speaking there, and on the last night of the conference, um, the the victory of Glenn Youngkin um, being elected as governor of Virginia was announced. Um, you know, during the the final speeches of that entire conference, and it, it was like the entire conference just like basically was like crowding around Christopher Rufo to like pat him on the shoulders, and they were like you showed the way. Um, yep. This is this is what we're going to do. And it was it was weird to be there and, and see that. Well, it's awesome. Well, listen, I'm already keeping you longer than I that I the promised I would. But so let me ask you one thing to kind of close this sure. out here tonight. It's like it feels like people are starting to get a sense of who Moms for Liberty is. There's an, there's there's more and more attention that's coming on here. Like the work like yours and parents groups seeking it out to try to understand what's happening in their districts. Um, and, you know, and broadly thinking about what this means, what, what kind of organizing that has to happen um, to push this back. And I don't even mean like just on the left. I mean, to stop like the crumbling of democracy, you know, of like of of our institutions that have taken so long to build up. How are you seeing the kind of response? Does it seem like this is the I don't know, say the knowledge and awareness of what's actually happening 
in these networks, these right-wing networks and with organizations like Moms for Liberty, is that breaking through? And are you seeing kind of organizing in response to that at all? Well, I mean, I, sorry to make keep making this Florida-centric, but it's just where no, no, my, no, my mind has been, um, you know, talking. I, I talked to a lot of public education advocates um, when I was reporting there. And, you know, a number of people told me that they felt like, you know, for for a very long time, you know, they had been looked at like they were crazy when they said, you know, all of this, all of these um, moral panics that are being whipped up are about defunding public education. Um, and they said that, you know, one of them told me that she was more optimistic than she's been in a long time because she felt like people were seeing what was going on, that, you know, another told me that now anytime they're kind of at a public event speaking, um, the idea of kind of defunding public education or the destruction of public education um, always comes up, whereas, you know, before that was sort of, I don't know, treated as a crackpot theory or something. So, I mean, I feel like you know, from what I'm hearing, there is more public awareness of that. I mean, I think there have been such kind of bold gambles on the right um, to go after this. I mean, you know, things like what you're seeing right now in in Bucks County, Um, you know, what happened last year in Tennessee with uh, Mm -hmm. Governor Bill Lee uh, proposing to open dozens of Hillsdale um, affiliated charters. I think, honestly, just the the increased awareness of kind of the the larger education project that Hillsdale College is involved with um, at the K to twelve level in public schools. Um, it it seems like there's just starting to be more awareness, and I I think you know that's always a good thing. Um, I think advocates who are working as activists on this, um, you know, certainly seem to think that that is you know, cause for some cautious optimism, at least that, you know, there are more people who are, are paying attention and uh, want to fight back. Well, wonderful. I can't think of a better place to um, to leave it tonight. I, would, I also just want to just thank you for your work, because it really is, I think, so critical. And I've always found that, you know, any kind of movement building, um, the, the role of kind of independent media that's actually tracking this stuff is so critical as to providing some of these kind of the tools and the background or resources for struggles just to be able to help understand what's going on. Um, so thank you so much for your work. Um, I mean, over the years and not just here on Monster of Liberty um, to really help shine a light on some of these movements to help, uh, all, you know, so many people help kind of understand uh, what we need to be paying attention to. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, you got it. So everybody, uh, thank you again to uh, Catherine Joyce for joining us tonight. You can actually follow her on Twitter at Catherine, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, Catherine A. Joyce um, on Twitter. Um, and make sure you also are following at In These Times Mag. That's at In These Times Mag. And subscribe to In These Times if you can. Pick it up at your local bookstore if you can. Um, and you can check out all her work by heading over to CatherineJoyce.com. That's CatherineJoyce.com. Um, Catherine, um, I can't wait to see what's coming down the pike next and uh, we'll be looking for you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
You got it. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, thank you for tuning in for this evening. And uh, once again, for all the work that you're doing there on the ground, um, we'll keep on bringing it to you as you are organizing. We remind you, get out and vote tomorrow in the PA primaries. A lot going on. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you in the early, early in the morning. See ya!